This is Effed Up, a conversational podcast about injustice, true crime, and rosé. Season one of Effed Up is a story about the corruption in one state's crime lab. Listeners are advised that this podcast contains opinions that are our own. All right, so we'll just jump right in. Jumping right in. I'm Jessica Borges. Oh, oh, okay. oh. <laughs> I was Is looking at actual... Nailed it. I'm actually I'm looking following at the script. The script. Oh, and it doesn't even have it, it literally it says, I'm Jessica Borges. I'm pretty <laughs> over just Hello. Like, <laughs> I would like to put it in the script that says, hello, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> That's the first line of the script. Hi, how's it going? Blah, blah, blah. Lying. I don't feel so bad that I don't have the script now. <laughs> it's not like super detailed. No. No. I mean, it's 20 pages long. Oh, shit. Who are you? <laughs> I'm Jessica Borges. I'm Priya Hubbard. I'm Keith Burke. Hello. Hi, guys. How's Hi. it going? Blah, blah, blah. blah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, you stole my joke. <laughs> you fucking dick. We, we, we haven't seen each other in a few weeks, so we're a little loopy, yep. a little tired, yes. a little rosé-ed. Yes. We had a little ketchup before we started recording. And some mustard. Oh, God. <laughs> Stick to the script. Can we just get serious just for a second? When I was story editing the first couple episodes, I started to notice that we were saying like crazy or insane a lot, which is something like everybody says, although it is a little bit problematic because there is such a stigma in the mental health arena that we don't really want to. Yeah, we don't want to offend anybody. And like, you know, this whole thing is about trying to make the world a better place. So yeah. it should start with us also. Yes. So we're going to be more conscious of our word choices and try to not offend people. Yeah, or contribute to the, the stigma. The stigma and the stereotypes. Yes, because mental health issues are really important and we don't need to be adding uh-uh. shitty things to that. So with that, let's get started. So we're going to start out this episode with a timeline of events with what's going on in North Carolina around the time we're looking at, and also touching on some of our past episodes to get you and Keith all caught up. But to get super, super serious right now, we would like to give a content warning about this episode that there will be discussions in this episode of sexual assault, domestic violence, and straight up violence. And before we get going, we want to provide avenues of support if needed or wanted. Online, you can find the RAIN website, which is the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network website at RAIN.org. They have a chat feature on their landing page, but if you'd prefer to speak with someone in person, their hotline is one 800 65 Hope or 1 800 656 4673. Okay. All right. I'm going to go through a timeline to get us up to speed before we get into our episode today. So let's start in 2005. Leslie Lincoln's mother was brutally murdered and Leslie's DNA was mislabeled. Her lawyer, as well as some other defense attorneys, filed official complaints about the SBI with the accrediting body, ASGLAD Lab. In 2009, the National Academy of Science released a report that recommended that analysts at crime labs have a minimum of a bachelor's in a science field, such as biology or chemistry. The NAS even urged a master's degree. In February of 2010, Greg Taylor is exonerated in a much-publicized case, and all hell breaks loose. 
Fast forward to a month later, March 2010, local paper The News and Observer begins reporting on the SBI. SBI Director Robin Pendergraft defends analyst Dwayne Deaver and claims that there are no widespread problems in the SBI. Uh-huh. <laughs> Attorney General Roy Cooper hires two former FBI agents to do an independent audit of the lab. In July of 2010, the News and Observer are blowing shit up. They're calling the higher-ups, the lower-downs, and all the in-betweens of the lab. They ask Robin Pendergraft about the agency's work in an interview, and she can't really answer, basically telling the News and Observer, quote, She's not familiar with several bureau policies and practices, nor the cases that have drawn attention from defense lawyers and independent scientists. She refused to answer questions about the disputed cases. Shortly after this, Pendergraf was transferred into a brand spanking new position overseeing the Medicaid fraud unit at the state DOJ. Given that the National Academy of Science in their 2009 report recommended that people with scientific backgrounds are preferred to work in scientific fields, such as forensics, or even just overseeing forensics, this makes sense. Attorney General Cooper replaced Pendergraf with a man named Greg McLeod. McLeod was the former general counsel for the Department of Crime Control and Public Safety. Note the lack of science. In late July 2010, Attorney General Roy Cooper, on recommendation from the former FBI guys auditing the lab, suspended the work of all bloodstain pattern analysts. He ordered his new FBI director, McLeod, to examine the training of those analysts. Cooper said, quote, There will be a review of training, certification, and standards before it's reinstituted. Good stuff, right? God forbid you be trained to do your job. (laughs) Yeah. That whole thing. Weird. You know, be qualified, have a degree. (laughs) I know. Minor minor details. So because of Greg Taylor and the news articles that have been coming out, loads of people are paying attention. The audit is happening, but not everybody is happy to hear about that. In fact, one of our sources, a higher level former SBI agent... Note, this is an analyst who refers to himself as someone in law enforcement, not in science. I think we've talked about him before. I think we have, Mm -hmm. yeah. Without irony, he criticized the people doing the audit as not having science backgrounds. Yeah, but he doesn't either. Right. In fact, another scientist not affiliated with the SBI also told us that. It makes sense that they'd want scientists investigating scientific things. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that seems pretty logical. Yeah. A lot of things are happening in North Carolina around 2010, and it's a lot of good things. Like, a lot of change is... Right, they're realizing that, like, things are effed up. Yes, exactly. Or fucked up, however you want to say it. I prefer effed up. And while the independent audit of the lab and the internal investigation was going on, a defense attorney named Brad Bannon, he had some major concerns about a recent case of his because he had tangled with flawed science before... So, from a blog interview with Brad that I came across, I found out that Brad knew he wanted to be a criminal defense attorney since he was 14 years old. He'd read the book Fatal Vision, the one about Jeffrey McDonald, which we touched upon in episode one. A defense attorney named Wade Smith sparked Brad's passion. Wade Smith was supposed to be given an hour to deliver information in closing arguments of that case. He ended up only being allowed to speak for around 10 minutes, and the jury found against Jeffrey McDonald. And apparently afterward, one of the jurors said, I don't know, we wanted to believe we really did. Maybe if Wade Smith just talked to us a little longer. It's that juror's statement that made a huge impact on Brad. It's why he works the workhorse hours that he does, bargaining with himself against exhaustion. He'll give himself just 30 more minutes before he quits. Believing that maybe 30 more minutes will give him the opportunity to find something that might help in a case. Those 30 minutes typically turn into hours or days. And it's not that I relate to this at all. 
I mean, the first time Jess and I went through the script for this episode and we got to this part, Jess stopped and looked at me and said, I get why you like this guy. <laughs> Those are like two pieces of pod. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just given last night where I was like, I'm going to go to bed at 10 and then at midnight I was still, yeah. Type, type, type. Anyway. It was one of these 30 more minutes moments that helped him with the Duke lacrosse case. Do you remember that? The It's a, it's a rape case. Yeah. Yes. Yes. An alleged. Alleged rape case. A woman accused David Evans, Reed Seligman, and Colin Finnerty of sexual assault. The infamous DA, Mike Nifong, had supplied something like thousands of pages of DNA evidence and information supplied by a lab that Nifong, it was like an independent lab, that Nifong had gotten to help him in the case because he wasn't super excited about what the SBI's investigation had revealed, that the boys were innocent. Okay. A lawyer named Joe Cheshire was the lead on that case, and Brad was a young attorney full of energy and enthusiasm. Brad noticed that the images of the DNA didn't match, and then he got himself a quick degree in forensic science, as in he did a shit ton of research into the DNA to try to understand because he didn't trust this DNA evidence. And in court, he was able to decimate the prosecution's expert witness, and the boys went free. So, great job, everybody. Yay, science. Except for, I personally do not trust the SBI's crime lab. And I believe that those who report sexual assault, misconduct, etc., like whatever is reported, I believe it. The statistics support that. But that is a podcast for another day, so I'm going to shut the fuck up. Moving on. Let's talk about Kirk. So in 2007, Kirk Turner was a Kernsville dentist who had been married to Jennifer Turner for about 23 years. Kirk was incredibly successful. His employees loved him and said that he talked about his wife all the time. Jennifer was an avid horse lover, and with her daughter away at school and her son fairly independent, she wanted to start a breeding farm for horses. She had nine horses and was doing pretty well, but the farm was definitely taking up a lot of her time. It was her thing. Kirk would come home from a long day of dentisting and would help her with the farm sometimes, or he would just end up in their house watching Netflix. But which wasn't without, around at without the time. The chill. <laughs> Netflix chill. and no and chill. Without the Netflix because it's 2007. And oh. I wait. It's the kind that you mail at that point. I think he he must have just received a DVD in the mail. Yeah. Mm. Oh yeah. You oh remember that? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You had to be patient. No one really knows what goes on in a relationship behind closed doors other than the two people who are in it. So everyone was shocked when it turned out that Kirk was leaving Jennifer after two decades of marriage. Their daughter, Wendy, asked Kirk point blank if he was cheating on her mother because it was so implausible that they were splitting up. He denied it. But as cheating husbands often do, he was lying. And Jennifer was not taking her marriage dissolving sitting down. She took him to court, and he was ordered to pay her $30,000 a month. I just Dang. Want- yeah. Get it, girl. <laughs> right. I just want to interject real quick that I want to look into getting married again and potentially to a dentist. Jennifer found out about Kirk's affair and sued the other woman for stealing her man in what's called an alienation of affection suit. Wait, that's, that's a, thing. a thing? Yeah. 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 So according to the Montgomery Family Law website... North Carolina is one of only a few states that recognizes the tort of alienation of affection. An alienation of affection allows a spouse... Go North Carolina. I support that. (laughs) It allows a spouse to sue a third party for wrongful acts that deprived him or her of the love and affection of his or her spouse. So, not surprisingly, the suit really pissed off Kirk. 
majorly. And Kirk told her that there was more than one way to end a marriage. So. Well, that sounds ominous. And on September 12th, 2007, Kirk and his buddy, Greg Smithson, went to pick up some welding equipment from the this garage shed type thing that you're going to hear about throughout this story. And this is at the Turner residence. And at this point, Kirk had left. So it's only Jennifer staying there now. Oh, so he like came back to get some of his tools. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I just want to do like a real quick side note. This structure in my research has been described as like a barn, a shed, a garage, a shop, a building, like, yeah. Within a couple of minutes, Greg Smithson heard screaming or fighting. And a couple of minutes later, Kirk came out of the shed and he was limping, covered in blood. So it was just the two of them. In in the shed, it was just Jennifer and Kirk. Yeah. Yeah. So Smithson had no idea what was happening and just knew that his friend was injured. So he ran to the shed garage thing to call 911 and found Jennifer's dead body. So, obviously, there's going to be an investigation. Doesn't seem a... I mean, there's two people Let's in the room it. and one's dead. Yes. Yeah. Well, the the way the fight was going, like, or the the marriage was going, like, it sounds like kind of a... What do I want to say? Like, contentious? Well, yeah, but, I mean, it sounds contentious, but, like, he's only outside of the room for, like, three minutes and, like, somebody's dead. Like, that's... That's more than contentious. That's, like... Suspicious? Suspicious. Sorry, I'm feeding you lines. Fucked up, if you will. Oh. Nice. Well, I mean, that escalated fast, too. Because if he's just out, like... I mean, because we all have friends that, like, fight. Yeah. And then you just, like, walk out, like, oh, give him, like, a few minutes. So, it's interesting that you're talking about it seems like it escalated quickly because... Well, yeah. It's suspicious. And... Within a... I mean, it's almost as if something was planned. So an investigation happens, hmm. clearly. Well, actually, it wasn't what I was thinking until you said that sentence. Because, <laughs> you know, when people get Brad. mad, like, you don't, you don't go from, like, zero to a thousand, like, that fast. Right. So the cops were called in. This was September 12th, 2007. And then eventually, Chief Deputy Jerry Don Hartman got a call and got to the scene a couple hours later EMS and other officers were already on scene and Jennifer's body and Kirk had been transported to the hospital because Jennifer's body was probably going to be a DOA. Oh, so they, they actually removed her. Like, so it wasn't like a total crime scene, she got like, taken away from just crime in case scene. she might've still been alive. By the time he got there, she they, had, she had been, her body oh, they had like been confirmed removed. that she'd been, she yes. was dead. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hartman entered the garage area and did a cursory examination of the scene. There was a lot of blood everywhere. He saw clothing items in sort of an office area of the shed garage, including Kirk's t-shirt and jeans. Hartman left the scene to go get a search warrant so that he could actually look through things in a legal... Do you really need a search warrant if like, you get there and there's like a dead body? I think that there were separate areas, like the oh. office area, and he needed to be able to go through shit. So go I think he was everything. trying to be safe. I mean, I think it's sort of like implied like something happened here. If there's like, hey, there's a dead person. Yeah. Well, I, I guess you want to I mean, protect yourself in a lawsuit. In this podcast, in a, in we have a, scientists who are not scientists. So I like that a cop is being a cop. Mm. Good point. Better, uh, better to like be safe. It? Dot your I's and cross your teeth. Mm-hmm. Cross your teeth. Yeah. Dot your okay. T's and cross your eyes. Hartman went to go get a search warrant and he was back within a couple hours. And this is when the shirt and the jeans were photographed. A discussion took place between Hartman and the on-site investigators since there was blood on the boxes, clothing, 
tables and the floor. It was really bloody crime scene. everywhere. It seems Um, to be moving fast, though, because, like, I mean, in, like, crime scenes, don't you, like, take your time and take, like, a couple of days to, like, photograph everything before you start moving stuff? We're going to... Oh, sorry. I'm jumping ahead. Sorry, 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 sorry. But, I mean, no, you're absolutely correct. They're going to need to call in the FBI to come... They need bloodstain pattern analysts to right. come in and check it all out. So that's going to happen. Oh, they're but, just like collecting the evidence and stuff. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Well, collecting what they can. They are photographing. They are, but. Right. Okay. Sorry. Correct. I thought it, it I, Okay. So a discussion took place between Hartman and the onsite investigators since there was blood on the boxes, clothing, tables, and the floor. Okay. The bloodstained clothing was brought back to the sheriff's department. And in the meantime, Hartman went over to the hospital where Kirk Turner had been hospitalized at this point. What what were his injuries? Just like something to his leg? Kirk had been stabbed twice in his leg. Oh. And he'd lost a shit ton of blood and needed a transfusion. Like, he was in bad shape. Hartman was trying to piece together what had happened in the barn shed garage pterodactyl. Kirk Turner was able to tell him that his wife suddenly attacked him with a decorative weapon leaning against the wall, a huge spear. Oh. So I'm going to do like a Seinfeld side note here. Okay. Are we going to talk about Entman's coffee cakes? Yes. They're in the display at the end of the aisle. (laughs) I like Seinfeld. No, it's for you. (laughs) (laughs) Malagatani. All right, carry on. So not to be all Seinfeld, but what is going on in North Carolina with all these rich white folks and their decorative fucking weapons? Oh, my the God, you The staircase right. and the blowpoke. The blowpoke. And then here with Kirk Turner and his fucking Viking spear, which is Who how Brad a- Bent. I mean, what? you're from Minnesota. Do you have one? I, I hate I was real proud of myself. That was a sports thing. You did Minnesota, great. it was Vikings. <gasps> sports. Good um, job. But seriously, what is up with all the decorative weapons in North Carolina? Please email us at Keith at Keith.com. <laughs> which That's is not a real email. Not an active email address, but you can do it. It probably anyway. is, and Keith is going to be real annoyed. Yes. Not just Keith. Kirk said that Jennifer had shoved the blade into his left leg and then stabbed him again. Just out of the blue during their argument? I mean... Like, you're not be. giving me the barn shed cabana thing, so I'm going to stab you with this bejeweled spear? <laughs> yes. It seems like well, a stretch. Well, it's not really bejeweled. I th- maybe we should show you the... Bedazzled? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of javelin-y. Hmm. Also, the picture also, there's, like, blood all over the place, and it's... Okay, so I'm going to be, like, real talk here. When I wrote this episode, I was so excited that she was excited about this episode because I am too, but it was really, really challenging because when the photographs were sent, it made it really fucking real. Because you'd already sort of like, you envision like this woman and like what happened to her and like the seven. Then when you actually see the pictures, you're like, oh God, you were a real person. Yeah, It's easy to like separate it when you just have like the images in your head and like the story so in your I, head. Just so you know, the photos you're going to be looking at today are... A- They're the vanilla versions as much as possible. Yes. Okay. Appreciate it. Okay. So what Kirk told Hartman... Mm-hmm. And this is while he was in the hospital? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. He said that Jennifer shoved the blade into his left leg and then stabbed him again. The second time she did it, she was an inch from hitting his femoral artery. That's your thigh, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like a, it's like inside, like almost near your crotch, yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. 
So according to the News and Observer, Kirk reached into his right pocket, pulled out his pocket knife, and slashed at his wife. He slashed her neck twice. This is in um, self-defense, is what he's telling Hartman. Okay. He slashed her neck twice in quick succession and severed her carotid artery. With a pocket knife? That seems a little... Okay, carry on. And then according to testimony at the trial, her trachea, windpipe, and jugular were cut. That seems not... Pocket knives are only like... The blade's only a couple inches. We're going to show you a picture of it shortly. That seems like a pocket knife wouldn't do that much damage in two swipes. Okay, so to be fair... I could be wrong. That's just me like... He's saying that Jennifer attacked him first. Right. And he's gotten his knife and is like... He's fighting for his life. Yeah, maybe. Okay. So, yeah, like you wouldn't know your own strength, sort of like. When- there are mothers who have like lifted up. Yeah, cars. I was going to say that's yeah. exactly what I was about to say. Like, yeah, you, where you yeah. don't like, yeah, what your body can do more than you think it can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like he became the Hulk. Okay. So there was a lot of blood evidence, which yeah. is why the FBI got called in. Okay. And this is going back to what you were saying. Doesn't an investigation take like a minute? Yeah. So on September 14th, Special Agent Gerald Thomas of the SBI went to the Turner's property to investigate the bloodstain patterns that had covered boxes, furniture, the floor. It's two days after whatever happened in that shed thing happened. Okay. When Thomas got there, he checked out the scene. But as mentioned, a lot of the evidence of whatever happened had already been taken away. Right, like the clothes and... Yeah. Yeah. So, Thomas headed to the Davie County Sheriff's Office. So, from ForensicScienceSimplified.org, bloodstain pattern analysis is the interpretation of bloodstains at a crime scene in order to recreate the actions that caused the bloodshed. This may be, like, normal shit that everybody knows, but we just want to, like, make sure that... Oh, yeah, like, they try to recreate... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, analysts... Examined the size, shape, distribution, and location of the bloodstains to form opinions about what did or did not happen. Right. Bloodstain pattern analysis uses principles of biology, the behavior of blood, physics, cohesion, capillary action, and velocity, and mathematics, geometry, distance, and angle. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense because, like, you have, like, cast off and, like, if, like, large things, large blood drops hit a wall like they'll trail down and i've seen you know in in shows and things like that and like true crime stuff that like you have like cast off and things like that so you can tell like if somebody was like you know the aggressor and why are you why are you laughing at me i'm laughing at you because you're 100 hired for the 2010 sbi crime lab <laughs> <laughs> oh because i'm just like throwing things at the wall like no, you know random shit so great oh i'm hired you're hired yes Okay, so there are types of stains, and these types of stains are blood stains classified into three basic types. Passive stains, transfer stains, and projected or impact stains. But the most important part for our episode is transfer stains result from objects coming into contact with existing blood stains and leaving wipes, swipes, or pattern transfers behind. Okay, so back to our regular programming. Gerald Thomas completed his examinations on that day, which was September 14th, 2007. And around two weeks later, he completed his written report. 
He documented his findings and he included writing about a large blood stain on Kirk's gray t-shirt and how that stain was consistent with a transfer blood stain pattern resulting from a bloody hand being wiped on the shirt. Okay. As if from like the pocket knife that he had in his hand, he like wiped off. Or like he just had blood on his hand and just wiped it off. Okay. So that's how they were interpreting. That's how... Thomas was interpreting the stain on the shirt. Like, like him, his, theory, his own hand wiping it His office. theory was that. Okay. Yeah. So and in theory, it should only tell one story. Ideally. Or could it tell multiple? Well, I guess that's probable cause. But I feel like that's sort of what we do as reality television producers as well, is we have all of this footage that has this sort of linear story, but on occasion, we need to, like... Craft it. Craft it a little bit. Yeah. Because as we all know, reality is... In quotes... <laughs> Not yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's reality adjacent. Mm-hmm. I mean, my biggest surprise in working in reality television was how real it actually was. I thought it was more fake than it was. Yeah, I mean, I think for the most part, like shows. I mean, especially the ones that we do. Like, there's definitely shows, like that are more scripted. Yeah, hundred percent. That like that we're not going to name. No, I mean shows like The Hills. The original Hills is very. Yeah, the original. Produced. I mean, it's a great show. I love that show. But it's heavily produced. Like those scenes, they knew what they were doing when they went in there. And but a lot of other shows you shoot. I mean, for like the shows that I work on now, we shoot three hundred hours for one hour of TV. Right. So you're cutting around a lot of stuff, but it's what you interpret it, what you interpret in that three hundred hours as what the story is. Right. So it's totally real. Yeah. You're not like manufacturing, you know, no. a, it's a story about a dog when it's really a story you just put, about You just put a very a specific volcano. perspective on that story. Right. The same thing is what I'm understanding bloodstain pattern analysis to be. Yeah. So it is possible that you could get two completely different analysts in. And tell two stories. And tell two stories. Especially if one doesn't have the training to interpret Right. Because like me having no training at all, I could walk in and be like, well, I see this dot up on the wall and that must mean he did this. But also, I mean, when you think about it, like it's like super fucked up that like all these people think they're just like, oh, I'm just doing my job. But yeah, your job affects somebody's life. Yes. Like that to me is like, why don't you have more respect for like your decision decides if somebody goes to jail or dies or gets off for a murder they committed when... You said they didn't. Like it just seems like yeah, the stakes are high. Have a little, have a little more like respect and weight for like. And when the stakes are that high, you would think you would take your job yeah. so fucking seriously. Like we make stupid television, and yeah. I get neurotic about like, oh, is this going to be right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm even not, in I'm this not, podcast, I, like the the joke we always say is like we're not fucking curing cancer, right? Right. But like these people have other people's lives in their hands and they're just yeah. like kind of cavalier about it sometimes. They literally have people's uh, lives yeah, in their 100%. hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... Ooh, I got real serious for a second. Yeah. Oh, look, Rosé. <laughs> <laughs> so let's backtrack for a second here. Yeah. On September 12th, 2007, the day of whatever the happened, of happened. The incident. The yes. incident. Mm-hmm. Smithson, Kirk's buddy, as you'll remember, mm. had gone outside because he was uncomfortable with the conversation that Kirk and Jennifer were allegedly having about the SEX. Okay. So, Kirk said that he changed the subject after Smithson left the shed garage barn 
thing. I mean, it, it's probably like a bingo hall or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Kirk had some papers that he needed to discuss with Jennifer. One was an order to force the sale of the horse farm. And if you remember, she is obsessed that with horses. That was her kind of her life. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And the other was allegedly an affidavit from Jennifer's first husband saying that Jennifer's first marriage had failed because of her obsessive love of horses. So I watched a 48-hour investigation or whatever that show is called, 48 Hours or... 48 Hours on CBS.com. True yeah. Crime and True Crime News. Watch yes. Saturdays at 10. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 48 yeah, Hours. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. So there was one about the Turner case in, like, it was like May of 2010. So a couple of months after Greg Taylor. And in it, Kirk is on the stand testifying about all of this and why he brought the papers there. Okay. And he's apologetic when he says that he brought these papers only to illustrate to jennifer how bad and mean this whole process this divorce process could become he just wanted to show her these people getting divorced don't talk like that yeah priya and i know as people who have been divorced oh yeah i'm literally (laughs) written here is that he didn't want for the divorce to become bad, like really bad. And then I said, uh, what? And then I said, <laughs> those papers wouldn't beget a civil conversation, you gaslighting potato. Those papers were brought there very clearly to instigate and rile Jennifer up. Yeah, because even like like when, you know, my ex and I, like, we're still good friends. Like, yeah, yeah. But even like, and our, our divorce was actually really amicable. Mm-hmm. But there were definitely times where we were like, wanted each other to get hit by a bus mm-hmm. just not like die from it like break up a broken leg you know yeah. be injured break up and ours, hard to ours do. was like a very smooth like our relationship ran its course there was no like nothing bad happened in ours we just were like we're good but when you sever a long like we were together for 10 years right like there's a lot of like i mean feelings and emotions and that's one of the things that you and i bonded over in party palace yeah that's i don't usually talk about you know me getting divorced and all but we split up right when i met Priya and jess so the fact that he's sitting up there like oh i just wanted to bring it to her attention oh yeah i was like like, you're coming there like i have receipts i'm gonna shove them in your face yep and i'm gonna get one up on you and i'm gonna watch you be angry yeah that's that's would be my interpretation of his reasoning. We know exactly one thing about Jennifer. She loved horses. Just talked earlier about the fact that Kirk would come home and Jennifer would still be working with the horses. And sometimes he'd help, but other times he was lonely or whatever. Like, Oh, she wasn't doing her job and fulfilling his needs. Yeah. She was too busy with the horses instead of like, Spending time with him. Yeah, fucking boo fucking who, Kirk? I would, that's so weird because, like, I mean, you can't be with somebody 24-7. I think a lot of problems in relationships come from, like, where people are too afraid to still have their own identity in a relationship. For sure. Where you're like, well, so-and-so doesn't like this, so I can't do it anymore. It's like, no, if you want, like, you're still two individuals who have chosen to be together. So let that person embrace their, you know... Because, like, there's with, you know, Sam, like, who I'm with now, like, he likes tools and, like, Star Trek and stuff that I don't care about. But but it's also why we love him. Exactly. Yeah. Like, it's adorable and he gets real excited about it. And I pretend like I understand what he's saying. But he's his own person. Right. And, like, he lets me, you know, 
do my own shit. Like we're here doing like a really fantastic own person. And you're a really fantastic own person. Be be who you are. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. But anyway, his testimony sounds like BS. Carry on. Yeah, no, it it was. It sounds very um, ingenuine. I think that we all know that the whole reason that we started this whole thing is because I was sort of obsessed with Dwayne Deaver's testimony on the stand. So it's something I apparently look at. So when I saw Kirk doing this, I was like, oh, dude, (laughs) something is not right here. Like the the spidey sense is going off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so this other paper that he brought for her to sign is to force the sale of this fucking farm that she's so in love with because of the horses. Like, Yeah, I found the one thing that you love, so I'm going to take it away from you. Exactly. So I have to say, I've been peripherally researching Kirk for about two years now, but mainly from the SBI aspect of it. So I was concentrating sort of on the science that we're going to get into, like all that stuff. So I'm not saying that Kirk is guilty or innocent. That's not my job to say. Right. But as soon as I started watching this 48 hours episode, I was like, hang on, why did she attack him? Right. Something does. Something's not adding up. Yeah. And it was like, even before the 48 hours episode, I was like, why did she attack him? Well, right. Because just, I mean, just from what having not seen that or anything like if somebody showed up with like here's a couple of things like i'm gonna be pissed off and i may be yelling and screaming my first impulse is not gonna be like hey look at that decorative spear in the corner let me start there right it seems a little like that's a leap well it's a weapon right and if she's fucking pissed off and they're talking about sex and he's bringing these pieces of paper to her that are like running high he left her after 23 years like yeah, that well, what I was going to say is my experiences were much different than, you know, hers. Right, but mine were very similar. Okay. So I immediately felt for her. So I was like, why did she attack him? What I'm saying is, pun fully intended, it was horseshit to believe that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Thank you. <laughs> I give you credit I, when I, they're fun. I might cry. <laughs> It was horseshit to believe that Kirk did not think Jennifer would be beyond upset by forcing the sale of her farm and then possibly blackmailing her into dropping her suit against the other woman. It felt like he was trying to, like, affect the alienation of affection suit that she had lodged against the other woman. Oh, I didn't think about that. Okay. And suddenly, I'm understanding why she attacked him. And specifically... Going into my next part here, Jennifer, this badass bitch, is being put through the absolute ringer in this fucking shed, whatever the fuck thing it is, also with her relationship. She's probably being gaslit up to high fuck, and she's got a spear, and she plunges it into his leg. It's not his heart. It's not his head. It doesn't seem like she's trying to kill him. She pulls it out and lunges again, this time a little closer to the family jewels. Okay. That is where she's aiming. Her does not seem like the best of men out there. And maybe a titch of Lorena Bobbitt came out in Jennifer. Also, Jennifer stood 5'11 and weighed around 180 pounds. And given that she worked on a horse breeding farm around 12 hours per day, she's pretty damn athletic. So it makes sense that she was able to wound him pretty badly. 
I'm not interested in victim blaming ever. And this is absolutely not me doing that. I like Jennifer. I feel for Jennifer. I relate to Jennifer. And I want Jennifer to have a little vindication here as we're telling the story. Because I 100% believe she was 100% provoked in 100% the worst way. And she paid for that shit with her life. And Kirk is alive to claim self-defense. So time was passing, much to the aggravation of the ADA, Greg Brown. And he was breathing down investigators' necks, not pleased with the turnaround time, nor the initial results about the evidence. ADA Brown and the prosecutors were working a theory that Kirk had killed Jennifer and then injured himself. So that's kind of like what they're I building that a story. Too. Yeah. Do you? Okay. I did. I had that thought up. That, well, that's why I was like, it seems like a huge leap for her to just kind of like lose her mind and like grab a spear. You know, I mean, we've seen enough of these shows and things where it's like he killed her and then injured himself to make it look like she injured him. Right. So it's like, oh, I don't know. This this isn't adding up. There's a leap that in like two minutes, like, but maybe it is my do, own personal Jeff, experience. Do, or, Jeff, do you feel the same way? Like, mm, not necessarily, but I think it's interesting. I feel like you've hear, never brought that up. Yeah, no, I haven't. I never thought that. So, so it, it's interesting. Is this like a, a binary females versus males thing? I don't thing? know. We don't have any science. We're just right. hypothesizing over like a story. So it doesn't actually really matter what we think. But it's just interesting knowing that this is what the story is that they've that they've latched onto. And so they're going to take it from here, basically, is, is what they think is like going to get this case closed. Oh, right. that he self, that, like his wounds were self-inflicted. Right. Okay. I did have that thought. Like, yeah. Uh, no, it's interesting. Okay, so Chief Deputy Hartman felt that the whole thing was more like a heated argument gone horribly wrong, not totally an accident, but he felt like Jennifer may have stabbed Kirk and then tried to flee, and then he grabbed her and killed her. No matter which way you look at it, though, Kirk killed Jennifer. The question was, was it actually self-defense? Okay. And the police and prosecutors did not believe so, and the case was brought before a grand jury. They didn't think it was self-defense. Right. Okay. And a little sidebar here, there is a former New York State chief judge named Sol Wachtler, and he was interviewed by the New York Daily News in 1985. He was discussing the ease with which prosecutors are able to convince a grand jury of a person's alleged guilt and how maybe the entire grand jury system should be dismantled. He felt that DAs were able to influence grand juries to the point that DAs could basically get them to indict a ham sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, a good, a good, that's a good line <laughs> okay so the da's in kirk turner's case got their ham sandwich and kirk was charged with murder in the first degree on december 13th 2007 okay however trial juries are a little harder to convince so this is just the grand jury so gerald thomas was going to need to put on his thinking cap and prove to a trial jury that kirk turner murdered his estranged wife now the SBI, now Gerald Thomas, has to prove that Kirk Turner murdered Jennifer Turner. And we're curious like, what he's going to use, like what methods he'll use like, to actually. Yeah, Thomas. Well, I mean, having, ha having seen and heard, you know, obviously over the, you know, the previous episodes and like other things about the SBI, it's like, it's not like they follow strict. Oh, kitty cat dinner time. It's kitty, kitty, kitty's eating behind me. <laughs> no, but it's, they, <laughs> they don't follow the rules of science per se right. it's a little more like arbitrary like oh well i'm gonna do the hokey pokey and stab this like what do they use pig like this pig with a spear and look i proved it yeah i just think it's really fucked up that they've charged kurt turner with murder at this point and 
because grand juries indict ham sandwiches, he's going to be going to trial. Right. But they don't have anything as of yet well, yeah, it to bring it. to the trial to prove that he murdered. Yeah. It's that. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's what's confusing to me is that, like, there's no evidence to yeah. push the story one way or the other. It's like, well, you're telling a story that she stabbed him. And you're telling a story that he stabbed himself, but there's nothing definitive. There's no concrete. Right. There's nothing to prove one way or the other. Like, they're both plausible stories. So generally, the whole thing is real effed up. And thankfully, in the next episode, we're going to be exploring what happened. Well, it's like, did she murder him or did he hurt himself? Like, Right. To me, where we're going is who's telling the truth? Is it did she hurt him or were the wounds self-inflicted? For me, there's a lot of leaps. I mean, on paper, I can understand somebody being like so angry. I've seen enough shows. I've read enough true crime to like somebody go into a rage like that. But like, I mean, how exactly was the friend? How long exactly was the friend out of the room? Like, is the argument five minutes? Because that to me seems like a pretty big leap to like in five minutes, I'm going to stab you with a Well, and that's why I think that he was 100% gaslighting her. And he's like, lying, not lying on the stand per se, but he's like, but is that enough time to like wind you up? 100%. You're with somebody for 23 years. You know exactly that's what true. word to say. And the horse that will just life. be like, <laughs> and she's making like a shit ton of money and alimony off of him. Um, so essentially he was coming in saying that I'm taking your whole life away from you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, not only am I divorcing you, I'm taking away everything. Not only am I making you feel then, like a terrible human being because I don't love top, you anymore. I mean, I get it. Like, on top of it, I, like, I meaning him, like, I won because I'm, I'm, I already am doing bad things to you, but I'm also going to take everything else away from you. He's rich and powerful and she's got, yes, maybe she's going to get this payout, but that's, I mean, he's out coming out on top. But it also goes to like what we're talking about, like individuals being individuals when they get into a relationship and having their own interests and blah, 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 blah. She's interested in horse farming. Like that is her passion. He's threatening that part of her that is her identity. That actually can relate to in in the sense that like, you know, when my relationship ended, it was just sort of like what defines me. And I just sort of focused on that. And like that I can understand if it's like he's coming in to take everything away from her. And I just I think for me, it's to connect the dots to like that kind of like rage and violence and things like that. It's it's kind of a foreign concept to me because I'm pretty like mellow but i mean i and guess i guess if you to me too and i'm the one who relates to jennifer the most yeah. of of all of us this rage and violence thing is foreign to me i could not enact right. violence against a person right i don't well, it'll be interesting to see next week like where the story goes you know as far as like the case with the actual and, yeah, and, trial. and the evidence and the trial and the stuff like that and how like, they actually prove I, I, I'll say like at this well, yeah, point that, at this I point I'm a little bit of a skeptic of like it doesn't seem very clear cut to me that it's she did it or he did it to himself I'll say I'll say that next time on effed up did Jennifer attack Kirk with a spear or were the wounds self-inflicted now we have to depend on the SBI to interpret what actually happened and given their track record Thank you so much for listening. At the end of each of these episodes, we want to highlight the work being done for justice reform, science, and the prevention of wrongful convictions and provide information on where, if you're as fucking pissed off at hearing about these stories as we are in telling them, you can throw some money or volunteer or whatever you can do. 
for some of the research in this episode, I spoke with Brad Bannon, the defense attorney in Kirk Turner's case. So if you have money to spare, he would love for you to help support the North Carolina Advocates for Justice, which is a nonpartisan association of legal professionals dedicated to protecting people's rights through community education and advocacy. You can find them at www.ncaj.com. And as always, we'd love for you to join us on our social media, where we'll be posting links to our research, photos, and videos on our Facebook page. You can find us on all platforms, Facebook, Insta, and Twitter at Podcast. That's E-F-F-E-D-U-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. If you need to reach us via email, it's the same deal. Podcast at gmail.com. And finally, we don't like to shill for ourselves, but this podcast isn't about us. Fucked up or effed up, is about helping other people. But in order to do that, we need to get the word out. So if you have a moment to spare, please rate us on whatever app you use to listen to us. It will help us become more visible and help us elevate the voices of the victims and survivors who have been impacted. If you have more than a moment and want to help us get the word out, please tell people, share links. The more people know about these injustices, the more changes that can be made. Let's create a fucking social injustice league and change the fucked up world. Effed up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Done. That was fucked up. Effed up is executive produced by myself, Priya Hubbard, and Jessica Borges. Research and story is by me, Priya Hubbard. Executive inquisitor is Keith Burke. Episode recaps written by Brandy Abbott, social media hall monitors, Brandy Abbott and Paloma Diaz. Cover art is by Allie Kelly. You can find her work at Allie Kelly Illustrations on Instagram. That's A-L-L-I-E-K-E-L-L-E-Y Illustrations on Instagram. Our music is composed by Allegra Borges, executive in charge of support, Jeff Berg. Technical consultant, Randy Maringer of Maringer and Unger. On-air distractions provided by Nima and Newman, a.k.a. Newman. Additional investigations are provided by cat detectives, Monsieur Hercule Poirot and Captain Hastings. Special thanks to Marilyn Miller and Brad Bannon. Now, Jess, we're going to need you to sing a or hum a science <coughs> theme song that you've made up for this next section that is completely original and we do not have to license. I don't know if we really want to hear my humming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe Keith will do it. Because you have to listen. Uh. Is that gross enough? It sounds like Amazing Grace. <laughs> so we're going to be just doing a science sidebar here real quick. Science, science. Ooh, ooh, science. I right. like that. Great.